Welcome back, friends, to the Dirt Talk Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and today we have Alex Burnett for episode 61. Alex Burnett, Mr. Alex, is a equipment trainer up in the beautiful province of... Oh. Cities in Edmonton, but I don't. Really know. I don't know if Edmonton's a province. I think uh, no, no. So Alberta, yeah, Alberta yeah. is the province, and he lives in Edmonton, and he works across Alberta, oil fields, oil sands, mining, all that fun stuff. We're we're consulting the Google right now. Edmonton is the capital right. city of the Canadian province of Alberta. Okay, so we're we're dumb Americans, yep. and we we just have fifty states. That's all we have. We don't have fancy provinces or anything like that. Uh, but classic mix-up. Lives in Edmonton. That is Canada. Equipment trainer. He was an operator for a while. Now he's training people on how to run equipment. We have a really good conversation. Thanks to Pat Allen for recommending him. And without further ado, let's just get right into it. Enjoy episode 61 of Their Talk with Alex Burnett. And we have you on today, Mr. Alex Burnett, because you were recommended by Pat Allen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. Is that good? Is that bad? Well, in reality, yes. But I mean, he is my friend, so we're just going to pretend that it's a good thing. Okay. All right, we'll roll with that. Well, it's a good thing. So Pat Allen, he's been on the podcast, and then you guys have a group chat, he said, and so that's you... Chris Ewens, Garrett Wilson, um, who else is in it? Ryan. Ryan Chrisman. So it's it's you five. And he said, four of the five have been on the Dirt Talk podcast, but Alex Burnett has not been. And my response to that was, well, I don't know who the hell Alex Burnett is, but he's probably some guy I've talked to on the internet for a very long time. And that is true. So like two days later, got a note from you saying, hey, it's Alex Burnett. I'm like, oh shit, okay, that that's you, which is what I figured was the case. So here we are. Now, you are a equipment trainer? Or what the yeah. hell, what, what do you even do? I don't even know what you do really. Uh, I train our new equipment operators to the company and I kind of help along the ones that are looking to build skill and move up in the world and you know, like if you're going to go from a rock truck to a dozer, I'll spend some time with you and we'll hang out and, you know, I'll impart my very small amount of knowledge onto you. And eventually, like within hours, you'll be better than I am. Well, uh, hey, that's, that's all you can ask for. I mean, that's, that's good teaching right there. Yeah. Um, so what's your, what's your technical title? Oh, I don't even know anymore. Yeah. You're and just... equipment trainer, I guess we've got a few of them now, but, uh, yeah, I'm like that guy that just does stuff. The guy that does stuff. What is so your full time? Yeah. Your full time gig is just training. It's supposed to be, yeah. But I also run at one of our mine sites. I run our low bed most of the time, and sometimes I do fuel and lube. Sometimes I run gear. Sometimes I move trucks around. A little bit of everything. It keeps life interesting. Nice. Um, uh, is it, so is it a mining company, contracting company? What kind of company is it? We do a little bit of everything. Uh, like we started out doing environmental and heavy civil and we do oil field and now we're into mining. We're into demo. So, uh, we try and get our fingers into everything we can. And for those that haven't noticed, you have a slight Canadian accent. So you are North of the, the great country of the United States in Canada what what province are you in? Are you in Alberta? You said Edmonton. Where are you? Or where do you work at least? Uh, yeah. Edmonton, Alberta. Edmonton, Alberta. Okay. And Alberta is a very big place. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the smaller provinces, but it's a, still pretty big. It's about the size of Texas. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's one of the smaller provinces, but it's one of the biggest, you know, it's comparable to Texas, which is one of the biggest in the United States. I mean, it's definitely known Rhode Island. Yeah. And no, it is not. Alberta is somewhere I've always wanted to go because you guys move a lot of dirt up there. Yeah, we we give it a shot. 
Yeah, more than that. You mean not every cat dealer can assemble a 797 inside and then drive it out the door with the box on? You know, that is, that's really just a, an Alberta thing, I think. <laughs> did you start as an operator? How, where did you get going in the whole dirt thing? Well, like I told you, grew up in the industry, thought my grandfather was the coolest person ever because he was a backhoe guy. And I just decided this was the industry for me and, you know, worked my way up and then got an offer to move out here from another province with a really large earth moving company and worked my way up and kind of ended up here. So what was your first job in, in dirt? Like backhoe operator slash labor. Okay. So it was just at the bottom, huh? Oh yeah. And how long were you doing that before you got an offer to move to the, the different province? I think it was about three or four years. Okay. And it was, I mean, why, why move? Was it just a much better opportunity? Better opportunity bigger dirt and the money here is absolutely insane for this industry mm. is that just an alberta thing oil sands thing what is it yeah yeah it's it's i mean it's like the oil industry everywhere it pays really well and there's a lot of jobs and not near enough people to do it Hmm. um when did you move up there? Was the oil were the oil sands really hot when you when you moved there? Oh yeah, I was what 2006 I moved and like oil sands were absolute gangbusters like oil was $120 a barrel and you know, they just if you showed up you had a job. You were just hired. Yes, please do something. Can you explain the oil sands? How does how does that work just in layman terms? Uh, basically they mine the ore from the ground. It goes to a plant through a giant crusher, and then in layman's terms, they just add hot water to separate the oil from the sand, add some something to dilute it, and ship it out as synthetic crude. Yeah, the, the oil sands are, are super wacky because most, you know, traditionally extracting oil is done with drilling and fracking, in, at least in our country. And so you essentially, quote unquote, suck it out of the ground. That's not really what you do, but that's that's what you're doing. But in the oil sands, it's really the only place in the world where you're mining the oil. So it's all mining, big shovels, big trucks. I mean, just an absurd amount of big trucks and big shovels to move as much sand and earth as possible because that's where the oil is. It's super, super unique. Yeah. And like the oil sands itself, like you, we get the, we kind of get pasted with the image that it's huge open mines and it is, but that's only actually about. 20% of the oil sands itself. So the rest is like traditional drilling. So like they'll drill a well down, you know, a few thousand feet and then drill a second well under it and inject steam into it to kind of loosen it up mm-hmm. and then pump it out. So that's mm-hmm. actually about 80% of the oil sand. So like a lot of also what we do is build pads and roads for that kind of operation. Mm-hmm. And that's just like out in the forest, you'll see random pads and pipelines everywhere and, very little environmental impact. Yeah, and that's a that's a newer, more exciting technology. It's 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 just crazy how they're doing it with steam, and it's you know a hell of a lot better oh, yeah. than strip mining. But um, you still need to mine that's that, interesting. that top layer too. Yeah, like I mean, it's it's interesting because it's so much cheaper to get oil that way. Yeah, but you don't get the like in our industry the glory of an open pit mine like one of the mines we um we work in quite a bit is uh, like suncor's base mine i mean there's like 500 trucks there that are triple seven and up i've always wanted to go up there the problem is taking a camera out there is damn near impossible because they've had so <laughs> much negative press over the years that they don't want any kind yeah. of any kind of scrutiny yeah and even just getting in is a process yeah so, so you, do, I mean, where, where do you spend most of your time these days? And, and, well, I guess, what was the process of becoming a trainer? So you're running, a, are you running equipment? And then they're just like, hey, hey, we, we got to teach some guys how to do this. Are you willing to do it? Like, how does that conversation even come up? Uh, pretty much. Uh, a friend of mine was the trainer before, and he did a really good job at it. And they decided to move him into the office to run our HR department. 
and he just kind of said, well, you're the, you're the next candidate that pretty much knows how to run most of the equipment and drive truck and all that fun stuff. And you can kind of use computers. So it was basically, here's a box full of paperwork and go forth with the world and see what you can do. Were you excited about it? Yeah, at first I was. I, I was that naive individual that said, oh man, and in a year I'm going to change the world and we're going to have nonstop amazing operators and my life is going to be so easy and I'm going to work eight hour days. And then I found out uh, it's not going to happen. So what, what does reality look like? Reality looks like a very transient industry, as I'm sure you've noticed, and nonstop new people and just kind of teaching people how to do things the proper way and, you know, kill bad habits. Hope that you can at least make somewhat of a difference. What are the, what are the most frequent bad habits that you see? Not checking oil. Mm. Uh, like with trucks, people just, you know, eating on the trucks, driving quick when they don't need to. Like, get a lot of, a lot of people race around job sites when there's no need to. Like, we're generally, and then most companies are over trucked for their loading units. And you just get people that race down the road, beat up the road, beat up the trucks, and just all that to go sit at the dump or sit at the hoe. Mm-hmm. So not, I mean, something as simple as not checking oil, people just don't, don't check their oil. Yeah. And our equipment's expensive enough that that really tends to bite a company. What kind of equipment is this? I mean, what size equipment do you guys run? Uh, we've got everything from small stuff to big stuff. We're, we're a growing company. So we actually just bought our very first 789s. We got five of them. I hear there's a couple more. Um, just bought a couple more D10s. We're, big into like 390 size excavators we've got i think eight or nine of those now a couple of 870s some big gear we're we're growing and lots of small stuff like lots of new next gen d6s and i think we've got a next gen 349 and all that good stuff nice that is good stuff i mean 789s that's that's nothing to nothing to shake your head at for a contractor no it's no like i mean by all respects that's a really big truck yeah, but we're also in a land of very large contractors where, you know, one of the contractors has like eighty seven ninety three, and they have I think a half dozen seven ninety seven. Like who are the big con- is is Tease up there? Like who who's up there? Tease is weaseling their way in, and kind of excited to see what happens. Um, I've noticed got a really big contractor named Thompson Brothers. Huh. Um, I've North American too. Construction Group. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So there's a They're few like really really big. There's some so there's some really big contractors that really are just up there for the oil sands. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what what does your day to day look like training? And, and you said you're home right now. So so how far away are these mines from your house? Uh, it's about 500 kilometers or you know 350 miles in old money. So long enough where you just go out there for a, a period of time? Yep. Yeah, I'll go up for, my shift is supposed to be like three weeks on, one week off, but sometimes it ends up being a month on and a few days off. Sometimes it's 10 days on and a week off. I kind of, I get to make my own schedule kind of with how the sites are looking. And it seems like as long as they're happy, my boss is pretty happy to just let me do my thing. Okay, so you'll get to a site and you'll be like, well, maybe I need to spend a little bit more time here or, hey, these guys are good. You know, I can maybe dial it back a little bit. You make that decision? Yeah. Huh. Where do you where do you live when you go up here? Uh, when, up there, is it man camps or what, what kind of living accommodations is it? Uh, we get camps most of the time. Sometimes we'll do the hotel thing if we're closer to a city, but camp is the, the go-to place for us. How do you like that? Uh, I don't mind it. COVID kind of thrown a wrench into things and made it not as fun, but we get treated quite well. Like we get executive rooms where you get your own bathroom, you know, meals are provided. Bussing is usually provided to site. It's a not bad way to live. That's pretty nice. And it's all paid for, right? You bet. Wow. That's pretty slick. Yeah. I mean, how many places can you go up to work for 21 days and potentially spend not a dime? 
Yeah. How do you, how do you like that kind of schedule? Is it tough being away for three, four weeks at a time? Yeah, it, it definitely wears on a guy. I usually try every year to take like a month off and just, you know, hang out, go on a little road trip, do the, the home life thing. But it's a, it's a rough industry on people, especially the way that it goes for us. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Um, it, it wears on people. You see a lot of, like a lot of failed marriages in this industry because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends on the person, kind of what your, what your disposition is on life. Like whether you're the kind of person that can be away for a long time. Are you, do you, are you married or have kids? No kids. Got a, someone at home that seems to tolerate me. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like, you know, when you're younger, it's a lot easier. And at least when you go out to like the oil fields in West Texas, it's mostly just young guys in their twenties and some, some in their thirties, Yeah, but not a lot of older folks because I think it just, it just gets to you over time. Oh, hundred percent it does. And there's a lot of people in this industry that, you know, they leave it for a different life somewhere else and end up back broke and, you know, maybe they realized the home life wasn't for them. Yes. Well, that's the, and, and so that's the, that's the curse of this world too, especially serving oil is you make so much damn money that you can't make anywhere else. And your live cost of living adjusts to what you're making. And then either you, you leave because you get burnt out or you're laid off because the market falls out from under itself and you're, Mm -hmm. you're shit out of luck. Like it, so many people, they're making ridiculous amounts of money and yet they're completely broke because they don't know how to manage it accordingly. And they're making, you know, sometimes a few years salary in a year, but they think that they're rich. Yep. And they spend money like they're rich. Like there's, I have a lot of friends in this industry all drive brand new pickups, like hundred thousand dollar trucks and they have huge payments and toys out the ass and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, like, you know, oil last year was worth negative money. Like, you know, our industry fell out from under us because of COVID. Like we went from probably 650, 700 employees last March to like 70 by early April. Wow. Well, and that's, and, and so that's why the oil contractors like con- or oil companies like contractors because if the prices do fall, they can just cut you guys and not think twice about it. Yeah, it's a really unique model. Yeah. And then, then the funny thing about like you said, negative prices up in up in Canada because the investment in these operations was ridiculous in in like the early two thousands, late two thousands, even even the past ten years. So these oil companies have spent so many tens of billions investing up there that they haven't been able to. They, they it's more expensive to shut the facilities down than to just keep producing yeah. oil even when you're losing money. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like just to like once you, I don't know, it's gonna sound like a cliche, but like just to get the machine rolling again, like the entire operation is huge. Like some of these mines are two and three thousand people every day. Yeah. walking in and out of this gate that if you were to lay them off, like you might be six months getting going again. And yes. like even these steam operations, you know, they'll steam these wells for over a year before they'll get oil sometimes. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. 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 There's, wow. Uh, one operation south of Fort Mac in 2015 or 16, they shut down because of like the fires in the area and just low oil prices and they shut the plant down, shut the steam down and they've never restarted it. Like that plant just sits idle. And I think that's like a 50,000 barrel a day site. Holy smokes. It's big money up there, man. Oh, it's, it's huge money. Like, I mean, we have a cat dealer that stocks not 797 in the yard just in case. It's absurd. Is that finning up there? You bet. Yeah. They they own all that area. They've made a lot of money up there. <laughs> um so they certainly have. 
So, so, so you go to a mine and say you're there for three weeks. What, what do you do? What do you do in the three weeks? Like, what, what does a typical day look like? Training. Uh, so in the morning, I'll attend like the supervisors' meeting, um, attend the morning safety meetings, and then head out to site with the crew. And usually, in the morning, I'll try and uh, like work with some of the track gear operators while they're kind of getting going in the morning. You know jump in with truck drivers throughout the day, kind of do my daily rounds. And if I'm at the one site, usually I try to do the trucking in the afternoon. If I have to move equipment, avoid paperwork as much as I can. So you'll, you'll ride along with the truck drivers. Like you'll ride in the buddy seat. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. And so, so you ride in the buddy seat of a, and, and most haul trucks, if for people that don't know, they have a second seat in them. It's not, it's not a luxurious seat, and it's usually where the guy's sandwich sits for the day. But uh, it, it is a second seat, even in articulated trucks, and especially in the big trucks. So you yep. just you just sit in the buddy seat, and do you you just you just watch them and give them tips. What's what's the teaching process? Uh, I usually try to get to know them. I try to keep it kind of like this is low key, informal, and you know see where they're at first getting tips, whether you can lightly suggest tips to them or whether you have to get some people that they're stuck in their ways and, you know, you have to go in a little more heavy handed, so to speak. But I try to, it's, it's taken me a long time to learn how to get the feel of people to see what they're open to as far as, you know, learning new ways of doing things that they need to, or whether it's just, you know, business as usual and do a general evaluation on them. So what would you rather, would you rather teach someone that's totally inexperienced or very experienced? Uh, I like teaching someone that's not really experienced. It's, it's really nice to teach someone how your company wants to do things. Like one of our big focuses is on safety and not rushing through things. Yeah. So if you've got a new operator to anything, it's nice to just teach them our way of doing things that we're not in a hurry. There's no need to rush. It's just, we want to do quality work. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody goes home safe. Yeah. There's a saying that's slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And yeah, I feel like everyone in the dirt world, they're just trying to just bang shit out as fast as possible. And it gets really sloppy, really fast when that's happening. Oh, for sure. It does. Like there's, plenty of contractors in the Edmonton area are like they just roar through stuff and yeah you got the job done but you know there might be another company coming in spending six months just trying to do little dig ups and figure out what the hell happened and like why does this line cross over this line or why was this line not even put in hmm. yeah it's it's just amazing how low the quality is sometimes with these even big contractors so, so, so like how much time, so you have to get to know the person to figure out how to teach them to begin. Like how long, how many, how long did it take you to even grasp how to teach people? Because teaching is a totally skill set, totally different skill set than operating. Like you can take a great operator and that does not at all mean they're a great teacher and on how they operate. Like I was just down at uh, Caterpillar's facility, at Tanaha Hills those guys, they're all they're all awesome teachers, and they were all very experienced operators before they got there. But it's a really unique skill set, and most operators out there do not make the best teachers. So, how long did it take you to figure out how to even teach people how to operate and how to instill your knowledge in these people? Honestly, I've been doing this job five years, and I don't know if I'm even there yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's there's a lot of personalities out there, and our industry does tend to attract the alphas. Oh yeah. I don't know. I sometimes struggle. Like you'll go in there and like, Hey, you know, I, I think I could show you a couple things and you might just get a fuck you. Mm -hmm. it, it could be like that. And you know, I still kind of put my foot in my mouth some days with certain people. And I don't know. It's a, I'm not going to say I'm there yet, but I've actually learned how to really teach everybody. I, get my moments in there where I'm good and I think I get my moments in there where I'm not so good. Do you ever get discouraged? All the time. All the time because anyone that knows me knows I'm, 
I really enjoy the industry. I love the equipment. I love the dirt world. And I get discouraged when I see, you know, someone marking up the counterweight of our brand new 870 or, you know, bending stick cylinders on 390s. Like it's, it gets you down sometimes when you could spend time with somebody and they pick up nothing and you just sit there like, why, why spend the time? Why don't I just go back, run a machine myself and stay in my own little world? So, uh, I mean, how do you manage that? Why not just go run a machine again? Uh, the low bed job at our, our one mine site is kind of like my, my happy place. It's, I've never liked driving truck, but for some reason we bought a giant army truck a few years ago and I love moving equipment around. That's, they, they act like I'm doing them a favor by running it. But to me, that's kind of where I know meditate for lack of a better word, like where I just go and do my thing and get to run a piece of gear and have fun. I, I've seen that a lot. Like I know a lot of the owners of the companies we work, work for, they'll, you know, spend a day every once in a while in the field, just running a dozer or something, turn their phone off and that keeps them yep. from going insane. And I totally understand the appeal of that. Yep. Like a lot of us, kind of the, the management guys in the company, they call it their iron therapy. Like we, cause I mean, most of us ran here at some point and just, you know, it's fun to just hop in a machine, do your FLHA and, spend the day just ignoring your phone, pushing some dirt somewhere and having fun. Yeah. I totally, I totally get that. What, um, so, so going back to the egos and everything like that, I, I joke that people like, yeah, the ego is like the biggest destroyer, uh, the biggest enemy in this industry. And I joke that everyone like equipment operators, they, they all think that they're the best at it. It's like men in sex. Like everyone thinks they're the best at sex. Um, when in reality they have no clue and, and operators, it's like that too. There's some big egos. How do you, how do you break through when, when someone does have that big ego and has no, doesn't really want to be taught? How do you, how do you get through to them? Because it's in their best interest for you to help them. Even if you don't know as much as they do, you're, you're coming at it with a fresh perspective that they don't have because they're in it every day. Right. Uh, a lot of the time we'll kind of position them over near someone with a little more experience so they can see mm. a different way of doing things. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time I'll even just hop in the machine. Like if it's someone loading trucks, I'll hop in a machine, have them sit in my truck. I'll load trucks for a bit and let them watch and just say, you know, this is how I do things, you know, give it a shot. Cause I'm not saying my way is the best, but you know, try my way for a bit, mix it with your way. Maybe you'll find some common ground in the middle. Maybe you'll, you'll like my way better, but just, you know, just gently push some people, like especially the alphas kind of gently push them that way. And I find sometimes they, they get it. And sometimes they don't, and they get mad and quit. Do you, how important is your role? Because, and how important is training? Do you think in the industry? Uh, I would say now it's very important and like to the industry itself. And I think it gets more important every day because as you've mentioned many times, our industry is in trouble. There's a lot of older people that are going to be leaving the industry over the next 10 to 15 years and not near enough skilled people coming into the industry to replace them. And to be honest, a lot of the younger generation isn't here for to learn the skill and to learn a trade and be good at their job. They're here for the money. And, you know, there's some people that reach that certain level of I'm amazing. I can do this. And they, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, but they just stay there. And it, you don't get the, you don't meet a lot of Ryan Christmas in the world. No. Well, and especially where you're at, I mean, it is a very transient workforce. So people are in and out all the time and the oil field is where people chase the money so I feel like it's less prominent like that elsewhere, but I can definitely see that across the board. And I, like the industry's kind of just gotten lucky with training and it's just kind of naturally happened over the past 50 plus years, whatever it may be. But now we need to be a lot more thoughtful about it and a lot more deliberate about it. And I feel like most companies have not caught on to that fact yet because at least in the United States, 
Having someone like you at a company is extraordinarily rare. And typically only very, very large companies have just a few of you. But even to like to illustrate the point, like again, I was at Tanaha the other day and that's half of Caterpillar's training guys. That's half of their training staff. Caterpillar, world's largest heavy equipment manufacturer. And they have eight guys that travel. Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't you don't have to think about that very hard to be like, well, that's great. I mean, these guys these guys are eight. They're, they're eight very effective guys. But how the hell do you make a difference with eight people in an industry of millions? How do you how do you do that? Well, I'd say those eight guys come to guys like me with some of the bigger companies. Like I spend quite a bit of time with our cat product guys and their training guys. Like we've got one. I'll be meeting with him on Thursday here but our 789s and how we can use them a little better. But like I've found, and I'll give a shout out to Kat. I'm a little harsh on them sometimes, but they have some amazing training guys that'll teach yeah. people like me how to kind of funnel that into the workforce. So you, uh, going to that, do you, you spend a lot of time learning about the latest and greatest and polishing your skills? I mean, you must, to oh, be yeah. a teacher, you must have to maintain an extreme sense of humility, right? Yeah, and a, oh, a thirst for learning about different technologies and different products. Like, we're like any big company. We don't have one brand. We kind of mix and match everything and spend a lot of time just sitting there thinking, you know what, maybe I don't know everything about a, a Cat D6. Well, that's the fun of it, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I mean, I sat there... Um, we have a couple machines with the new Trimble Earthworks or Cat 3D, however you want to look at it. And I sat there on the phone with a SciTech rep last fall, like, hey, I'm sitting here trying to do a pawn. My autos won't work. I'm, you know, yelling at the guy because our brand new machine with the most amazing GPS system out there doesn't work. And I sent him a screenshot of my screen. He's like, oh, you're you're in neutral and you're trying to use auto. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, that it doesn't work. Put the machine in gear, dumbass. Mm. There you go. <laughs> like just something as little as that. And, you know, actually I think I was talking to Ryan at the same time and I just, you know, skimmed over the fact to him that I was trying it in neutral because I didn't want to seem dumb in front of Ryan. Well, I mean, we've all done really dumb shit. Like one of the first times I ran a dozer, I just left the rippers down. So you take off with your rippers down and uh, it's just, oh. it's it's not, it's a little bogged down. You're like, what the hell's going on? You look behind you, and you have some nice nice tracks laid out behind you because of those rippers. Yeah, yep. all the time, and our code at work, like, we'll go over the radio. If you see someone like, hey, check your trailer hitch. It's, I don't know how many times I've driven around with the ripper down because our policy, and, well, general oil sands policy is, if you're going to get out of the machine, put the ripper down. Yep. And... You get a lot of people that are new, like they'll drive away in a D10 with the ripper down and like, ah, oh, fuck, we just finished that area. Yeah. Well, and yeah, experienced guys will do it too. It's not really even an experience level thing. Are you better off just admitting yep. that you don't know everything? I feel like you are, whether yep. instead of pretending yep. like you're, you're perfect all the time. Yep. Cause it's, and I'm sure I'll get flack from it from my boss, but if you're the first thing out of your mouth, tell me is how amazing you are at something. I generally just assume you're not great at anything. Yeah. Like you get, we've had people, you know, I had a guy six, six, seven months ago. Tell me like, I lied to get the job. Cause I'll be honest. I have no skill. I don't know anything. I just lied to get the job. And to me, I was like, you know what? He's an honest guy. You know? Yeah. We're not going to put him on a 1250, but we'll put him on a, a 200 or something and just let him kind of scratch boxes or something. Like, you know, if you can just be honest in this industry and tell someone, yeah, I don't know everything, you'll get a lot further. I agree. And, and, and it's hard to maintain that as you start to get good too. It's really important to, yeah. I guess, maintain the humility even when you're really damn good. Cause there's always more to learn in this world. Everything's always different. Oh, hundred percent. And, yeah. you know, just cause you're good at one thing doesn't mean you'll be good at, you know, that same thing in a different side of the industry. Like, we get lots of guys that are amazing at oil field work or amazing at pipelining and, you know, they don't have 
a mining mentality or a heavy civil mentality. No, and I've, I've seen that a lot. And, and someone will make the mistake that because they're really good at digging a trench with an excavator and laying pipe, that they're also good with loading trucks with an excavator. And it's two, com- yeah. it's the same machine, same controls, same everything, but two totally different skill sets. It, they're not the same thing. No. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of that. Like, I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Like our, I'd say the darker side of our industry is the pipeline side up here. And I mean, that's way more money than we make even in mining. But like there's guys that, you know, all they've ever done is sling pipe and dig a rough trench kind of somewhere in the right of way. And, you know, we'll get some of the work where, you know, we're putting pipe in by, you know, half an inch at a time. Like, okay, it has to be in this area or, you know, this pad has to be on this grade. And, you know, it's just because you're good at dropping 42 inch pipe in a giant hole doesn't mean you can, you know, fine grade with a, a GPSO. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I totally agree. Now, what, what's, um, besides slowing down, I mean, what kind of advice do you have for, for younger guys typically? What's, what's the, what are the things you're, you're typically, what's the advice you're typically offering? Keep your eyes open and never turn down a good opportunity. What do you mean by that? But there's always a chance to learn. Like, you know, if someone offers, hey, we had a dozer operator not show up today. Do you want to go push lumps in the dump or something like that? Take it. Take all the chances you can to learn. Because, you know, just because you want to be a hoe operator doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a hoe operator someday. You know, you might want to do it, but you may not be good at it. You may be a really good grader operator. I just tell everyone, Take every chance you can get. Try and jump in every machine if you can and figure out what you're good at and figure out what you like. The real shame, though, is when someone turns down an opportunity like that for fear of feeling like a total asshole. And, like, I, I get, like, I, I, I love the part of our industry that busts people's balls. I mean, you guys, you know that. I love I love giving people shit. But at the same time, like, there there's there's a fine line between giving someone shit and just being a total asshole for no reason. And oh, there's a lot of people that are afraid because to, to take a, take a chance like that or try something new because people just, will just go out of their way to be a total asshole, especially on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the funny thing yeah, is the assholes are the ones that are mo- the most insecure. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with looking like an idiot sometimes. I mean, you might, genuinely actually learn something that way because that's going to be something you remember imagine that like i don't remember every day that i've been a really good hole operator or a really good track loader operator but you know i remember most of the days that i really fucked up and looked like an idiot i going back to the ripper thing i've remembered every time i've left the rippers down you don't forget it and then you, you and then you're you're extra careful the next time. You're like, all right, I'm not going to look like an asshole twice here. So then you check, you yeah. learn your lesson very quickly. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess uh, we're in an industry of professionals now where nobody has ever fucked up and nobody has ever had that problem. And it must be just amazing to be perfect like that. It's such a bummer, though. I mean, those people. Like, I feel bad for those people now that just have to be perfect at everything because they're just they're so behind compared to the people that admit that yeah I'm a total asshole and that's fine I'm 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 doing my best and that's what I've tried to do like you know that whole acting like an expert thing didn't work out well for me so then as soon as I started admitting like hey I don't know anything I'm a total asshole I have no idea what I'm talking about but I'm just trying to explain it based on how I learned it and how I understand it it could be wrong but this is how I currently understand it. And then when I'm proven wrong, okay, good, I was wrong. It's just, it makes learning so much faster to admit mistakes and fail than trying to be Mr. Perfect, Mr. Know-it-all all the time. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of takes people off edge around you too. Like, you know, even kind of my first memory meeting you last year was you telling Jeff and Frank and a couple of those guys like, yeah, like I'm not a, I'm, you know, I'm not one of you guys. I'm an outsider. I'm learning the industry and I'm here to see stuff and do stuff and find out and see what I can do. And I don't know, it kind of puts people at ease, I think. It, it, yeah, it disarms people. 
Because then, I mean, what's what's someone going to say? Well, you don't know what you're doing. Well, yeah, I've already said that. I already know I don't know what I'm doing. Like, then they yeah. can't really give me shit anymore because I've just said it first. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's like people people have a big problem with me because I'm not from the industry. It's like yeah, that's the that's the fucking point. We need people that haven't thought of the industry before or have not don't have grandfathers or fathers in the industry to think about this place, or else we won't have people. So, yes, I'm not from the industry. I'm not like you, but that's the point. Like we need people like me, we because we're gonna run out of people that have dads and grandfathers in the industry showing them the industry. Very much so. I mean. It's like my job. You're the outside set of eyes. You're, you know, someone in, someone coming into it, just looking at things with a different opinion and a different view of the world, and like, okay, well, what can we do differently? Yeah, yeah. You you can probably somewhat relate to me in a sense that when I come on site, I'm immediately an outsider, and people, yep, people like like I've been told to fuck myself quite a few times, like you have. And it does suck a lot of times, but it's a it's it's an art form trying to get to, to connect with people as quickly as possible, so that you can just do your damn job. That that ultimately makes them better off. Yeah, and it's it's interesting coming in and being the outsider. Like we've got sites where I don't, you know, I sometimes don't go to very often, and I have guys looking at me like I'm the new guy, and it's like, dude, like I've worked for this company for seven years, like. I've been here a long time. Like you're the new guy and yet you're looking at me like I'm an asshole. Yeah. That is funny. Um, going to the, the, the world of the social media has that, you know, being in a group with people like, like a Ryan Chrisman, who's just an absolute weapon with a grader or like a Chris Ewens with, you know, he's, he's really, really damn good with an excavator. And I, I hate to be saying that. I hope he doesn't listen to this one. But uh, does it does it make you a better operator being around these guys? Sure, I've uh, I've certainly learned a lot from Ryan. You know, running greater, and you know, if I ever go to dig a pond or burn some wood, Chris is going to be my go-to guy. But he, he does do think, a lot of that. I think we're all just better. Yeah, I think we're all just better from seeing how people do things in different areas. Like you know, we do everything here with really large equipment. Like I came from a water and sewer company that digs everything with a 385 cap. Like we put in catch basins with a 385. You know, you'll see someone like Garrett Wilson who's going to do it with, you know, a mini excavator or a little wheelie hoe. Like just, you know, even just seeing how people do things in other ends of the world, I think makes us all better. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun part about my job. I get to see a lot of different ways of doing the exact same thing. And one is not necessarily better than the other, which is, which is funny. And it kind of cracks me up that I'll just see, you know, one part of the United States doing it totally differently than the other part for no really good reason. It's just the way they do it. And the internet yeah. in that regard makes the world a lot smaller because you can see how everyone else does what you're doing. Yeah. Like, uh, I think one of the really great examples, and you've probably seen the picture, uh, there's a machine out there called the Scrater where it's a 637 that a company here decided to put a grader blade under yes, and make the world's weirdest road grader. And you get people online say, that machine has no purpose. I don't know why you would do that. Just go buy a 24 or go buy a 16 or an 18. And for us, it makes sense because that machine was built to dry dirt. Like we have a very wet construction season here and it's a very short construction season. And to us, the scrater makes perfect sense. It can dry dirt after a rain day. It can windrow stuff up so that a buggy can get it or, you know, a hoe and some rock trucks can get it. But, you know, everywhere else in the world, it's like, why would they do that? Like, the same company built a buggy with tracks. They put a D10 in front of a 657. I've and seen that. Like, okay. Yeah. And to most people, a scraper is something that should move dirt quickly. But here, it's like, okay, that's a machine to pioneer road like that's a machine that after a rain day is going to get the rest of the 657s into the job site yeah yeah and i that is the funny thing that people are talking shit on the internet too like like the scrater well, that's the dumbest thing i've ever seen well you haven't even seen it like you saw one clip on the internet yeah. and you're saying it's the dumbest thing you've ever like how do you how do you know you, you have no idea like you're you're showing me how yeah. dumb you are by saying that's the dumbest thing you've ever seen 
because you're judging something that you don't know anything about. Yeah. And contractors, I don't know how people don't get this in their head either. They're incentivized to make as much money as possible. So they're not going to do something stupid that loses them money intentionally. No. And I think a lot of people now, especially with social media, have forgotten that, you know, back in the day, there were other machines out there. Like there were a lot more companies than just Cat, Komatsu, and John Deere. Like there were a lot of companies out there that built some really interesting gear. And a lot of contractors then took it a little further and they modified it and, you know, they made it their own. And most companies don't really do that anymore. So I think people's heads have kind of shrunk and anything even remotely out of the box just seems stupid. Yeah, it's... It just frustrates me. The companies that are the best at that still are demolition companies. They make some wacky shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, every yeah, demo like company has this just some weird-ass tool that's unique to them that they built themselves in their backyard. It's like, okay, this is cool. This is how it should be. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a power plant, a big coal power plant just outside of Edmonton that got demoed about 10 years ago. And a really big Ontario contractor came in with all sorts of fancy high reach demolition gear and things like that. And, you know, their high reach broke down and they hired a local company to come in and do some work. And the local company showed up with a just clapped out 450 John Deere with a 30 foot poking stick where the bucket's supposed to be. (laughs) And they knocked the power plant down with a poking stick. I mean, they got the job done. Yeah. It's like, there's your, you know, probably $2 million, you know, 390 high reach, beautifully set up machine with shears and all those fancy attachments. And here's a $50,000 450 with 20,000 hours that has a piece of pipe welded onto the end of it with a hook and they just poke stuff down. I love that. Yeah. Like it's, it's fantastic. And like I sat there and watched the guy, I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Like this is the most interesting thing I've ever seen. There's a company in Arizona and they have a uh, 5130 that's modified for demolition and they have, it's, oh yeah, they have something similar. It's like this, they have, I think it's like a 90 foot stick that's just at the, that they fix to the end of it with a little harpoon hook on the end of it and they can pull down whole buildings with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what did it cost them? Like $5,000 to build? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They just pick up the steel, weld it themselves and there you go. I mean, yeah, the, the, on the end of a fifty-one thirty. Uh, yeah, yeah. The fifty-one thirty wasn't cheap, but the the little stick at the end. There you go. That's all you need. You don't need mm-hmm. some big ass Genesis shear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you know, even our company, we bought a really nice Genesis shear for one of our four eighty Volvos, which Chris is just going to love hearing me talk about a Volvo for once. But I mean, like we bought that beautiful shear for a job. Found out the machine wouldn't even pick it up. Nice. But, you know, eventually they got it there. And I got to rag on Volvo a little bit because Chris really loves his Korean stuff and us not so much. I was, uh, Chris was joking with me the other day because I'm doing something with Kat kind of in his neighborhood in, in May. And I said, you should come out. And he said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll wear my Volvo jacket. I'm like, good, Chris. Good. That's That's exactly what I thought you'd say. Well, yeah. I mean, he's got a, He's got to do his thing. He's very loyal to the Volvo brand, even though he did start his business with a Hitachi. He doesn't tell people that anymore. Yeah, well, have you noticed the only machine he's kept long-term is the John Deere? Yeah. Yeah, that old one, huh? Yeah, I mean, that backhoe, that's a pretty strong machine, and that thing's got to be maybe 25 years old by now. Yeah, but but so so that's the thing is everyone likes to debate this brand or that brand, but at the end of the day, most people don't really give a shit. No, I mean they all break, they all have their their ups and downs. It's it's iron. Every company has their good points and their bad points. Yep. I wish I wish more companies had trainers because I think your skill set, knowledge base, occupation is much needed in the industry. Oh, very much so. We're we're definitely steaming towards this being more mainstream in the industry. Yeah. Well, is there uh I mean, I kind of ran around. 
And I, I don't know if there's anything else to cover. Do you, do, you, do we need to say anything else, especially about the, the group of four that you belong to? Uh, well, yeah. Pat Allen paid me five bucks to say, fuck you, Garrett Wilson. Really? Yep. Nice. Yeah, five bucks American. Like, that's good money. That's, like, quality money. Congratulations. I'll ask him for a commission <laughs> check as well. I, he owes me at least a dollar. Oh, guaranteed he owes you at least a dollar. 20%. Yeah, yeah. No, all right, yeah. I'm gonna send him an invoice. Great. I'm glad we yeah, got. I, I'm glad we did that. Actually, I think really what you should do is go through Tom to get it, and just you know deduct it right off his paycheck so that he can't fleece you on this. That's a great point. We know his boss. Yeah. Wow. That's now good you thinking. Just, you do need to get his other boss on here though, because I think uh, I think the conversation with Craig would be pretty interesting too. I know we need to get Craig on, and then what would be really cool is once our once our studio is done in Nashville, we could have all three of them in, and shoot the shit with the three of yeah. them, which I think would be a, a an absolute blast. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, they're three very interesting guys. Yeah, yeah. No, they they've they've both said you got to get you got to get Craig on. I'll I'll get him on one of these days. He's just he's a, he's a lot more low key than those two are. Yeah. Yeah. But even Tom can be kind of low key. Like it was weird. Like I think I was telling you, like I did the YouTube thing for a little while for, well, I guess we did it for like seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Tom made a video of him like stacking an apple on a beer bottle and all that stuff way back in the day. And it makes its rounds around the internet every six months. And it's pretty cool. And, friend and I did the same video with a 385. We just smashed the beer bottles and we're like, fuck you. Like we dig dirt for a living. <laughs> and for, you know what? For 10 years, I was told Tom hated me. And yeah. I saw him at Con Expo last year and had a really good, in, really good talk with him. I'm like, man, like this dude's actually pretty cool. He's nothing like I figured he'd be. No, no. He, and, and yeah, for how public he is, he is very private and reserved. Yep. Same with Chris. Same with Garrett. I mean, those guys, they put their whole lives on the internet, but they are th that's not their personality. No, no. Ryan, I mean, all, all these guys, all, the, all these guys, they're all very low-key people, but they put it on the internet. I mean, most of these guys, they put their stuff on the internet to teach. It's, it is pretty cool. It's coming from a really positive place. They're trying to show people what they know and learn more and put themselves out there. And especially, I mean, shit. Mm -hmm. There's there's no one that puts themselves out there better than than Garrett. I mean, he just lays it all out all the time. His posts are nuts. Yep. We need more of that. We need more of that. You know who? Do, do you know? Do you know Jody up there? Oh yeah, yeah. He's my trucking expert. That like, anytime I get any, inform any information from him, I just try not to tell my boss. Like, yeah, it's this dude I met on Instagram. Yeah, but speaking of like crazy videos on the internet from Alberta, holy shit. And, and the pictures, like, they do some gnarly stuff. Yep. Yeah. You mean they don't move PC-2000s around on a trailer everywhere? No. No, absolutely not. No, that's that's just Canada, Alberta, and Australia shit right there. That doesn't happen anywhere else. Really? That's, that's so weird to me. Like, you guys don't just walk a 6015 on a trailer and move it 50 miles to another mine? You know, you'd, you'd think so. Because it'd be a lot cheaper that way. But no, no, we have laws saying you can't do that in this country. Yeah. Um, as crazy as his photos are, that's not even half of what they do. And I that's know. the scary part. I know. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I can just imagine we, we don't even see nearly the craziest stuff. No. Because what like, you guys put on the internet, that's the no. watered down version. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you see them moving a, you know, a 797 down the highway. It's like, yeah, that's the highway part. Well, here's the part of them weaseling it into a job site or through a gate at a mine or, you know, over a little tiny bridge. Like, you know, some of the stuff that those guys do over there is just absolutely amazing. I've told him, I'm going to make it up there one day. I promise you I'll make it up there one day. When you do, let me know. Because there is, like, if you're into heavy equipment, this is god's country like, i know there is so much big gear just sitting around like there's a little town outside edmonton 
they have a 200 ton haul truck sitting in the back parking lot, like just hanging out. I love that. Yeah. And you can probably see a lot of stuff without even going onto a mine, huh? Yeah. Um, like I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures of the coal mines around here, like the coal mines, they're easy to get right up to the gate. You know, you can see all sorts of stuff off the road, oil fans, not so much because the mines are bigger and they definitely make sure they're nowhere near the road. But like even just the civil jobs, you see huge equipment like Sherway's in Calgary right now, big dicking Kidco with, you know, a PC 2000 loading 40 ton rock truck. I've seen that. I've seen pictures of that. It, it just looks, it looks hilarious. Yeah. Like, you know, I've heard people tell us that 390 is overkill for a, 40 ton rock truck and like well but is it though yeah yeah if you can load one scoop there you go one and done well i'll let you know if i make it up there hello i'll get up there oh you'll have to once they open the border you should uh come up you can see all sorts of fun stuff just bring warm clothing if you come in the winter time dude i know i the 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 travel restrictions that's the problem is it's so It's just so messed up traveling internationally that I have not wanted to even attempt it right now. Yeah. Like even when we left Con Expo last year, like I got home two days before they closed the border. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go drink some beer and barbecue because... Well, you do that. You know, you, you need power to turn the lights on, but you don't need power to run a coal green egg grill. Thanks, Devin. This is true. Yeah. This is true. I'm going to go to a, well, I'm being dragged to a farmer's market later this afternoon, and I am going to wish that I was grilling something. Yeah, that is not, not the same vibe. No, it's, uh, it's really not. I'm, I'm going to pretend that I enjoy it because that's what you're supposed to do. But deep down, I'm going to be like, yeah, I could be, you know, somewhere else doing stuff and things and enjoying life. You know, isn't there something about, having to compromise somewhere as far as good relationships go? Oh, hundred percent. I wouldn't know, but that's, that's what people say. Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of lovely young ladies in Nashville. I, I, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got the nice truck now. I'd be like, Hey, check out my fancy Ford pickup. Yeah. But you see the, the pickup is nice because it is a lovely ego boost. And if I said that wasn't the case, I'd be a lying son of a bitch. But I also don't want to be the guy, you know, relying on my pickup truck to sell myself in any form, whether that be with with women, with business, whatever it may be. So it's a fine line there. It's a fine line. Yeah. But see, at least with business, it blends in with the rest of the industry. Yes. That's why I got it. Yeah. You see that? Yeah, you see that truck show up in a job, say like, okay, this dude's serious. You know, he's one of us. He's got the truck. He's got the standard truck of the of the industry. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about the truck is when I drive on job sites, I don't have to explain. I don't have to explain as much. Like if I were to drive onto a job site in a Prius versus an F-250, you have to, you, you are... Yep. Right off the bat, you are at an extraordinary disadvantage driving up in a Prius. But if you drive up in an F two fifty, everyone's wondering like, who the fuck is that guy? And they don't they don't bother you. You don't have to sell yourself. You just walk up, and you can do your job so much faster than if you were to drive up in a oh power company just drove by. <sighs> They're not coming to my house. Are you getting all excited? I have seen them drive by my house probably fifty times in the past two days because the whole neighborhood's messed up. But my my house is not a priority. So Apparently. that interrupted my thought. But anyway, I'll let you get to your farmer's market. I know that's very important. I'm going to go get to my tomahawk steaks with Mr. Ben Schwanberg, and um, I'll catch you in Alberta one of these days. You better. Okay, everybody. Episode 61 is all done. I don't have a whole lot for you other than keep sharing the podcast. Uh, This is how we wrap up every podcast. So if you've listened before, you know what the hell I'm going to say is thanks for sharing and please keep sharing. That's how we're growing this thing. We want to get it across the dirt world. 
and we can't do that without your help. So thank you for that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always direct them to dirttalk at buildwit.com. Just email us. It'll go right to Mr. Alex, our podcast producer, and it'll go to me as well. So we really appreciate you listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, stay dirty. <laughs>